Let me invite you to take a copy of God's Word and look at the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I love a great story. Always have. I love to, to be able to read a great story. I love to see it represented maybe on a television screen or even in movie theater. I love a great story. Now, I will tell you that over the last few years as I've had children, some of the depth of those stories, well, some of the depth has not gone too far down. You know, the stories now that I listen to most of the time are stories like Jungle Book. My kids are getting ready for a play, and a couple of them are in it. I've been listening to a lot of music and a lot of different ones and hearing all the different characters' names again. What, Mowgli, Begera? Did I say that right, by the way? Hayes was trying to coach me up on that this morning. Begera, Blue, Shere Khan, and I'm living with King Louie right now. You know, so you, you got all those different characters. So, you know, a lot of times, those of you who... You, who are grandparents or younger, maybe parents right now, you know what it's like when you get caught up in their world, right? And you're hearing their stories and, and all of that. There's some great stories. Sometimes they are childlike stories that we enjoy. Then there are some more serious stories that we find. Yesterday, I was watching, I was just watching a plethora of college football. I don't know if you did, but I did yesterday. I just kind of sat, I was working on some stuff, but I would just turn from this game to that game. And yes, we're not making mention of anything that happened here in Ruston last night. Nothing. And if I hear from you, Bob Myers, or anybody else, it's going to be a bad day for you. But I watched a lot of football, a lot of football yesterday. And I heard one of the announcers say that college football is full of great stories. And then they highlighted... The story of the young blind man from USC, Jake Olson. Some of you may have seen this. That Jake had been blind, well, he'd been fully blind since he was 12. And he came upon the field that first week and he was a snapper. He snapped the ball to be kicked. And it was this wonderful story. And it really was. You know, I was reading through it. I was inspired by it. I, I went and... Wanted to find out more about it, so I did a little bit of research on that just to see about the young man and how he had become blind and those kinds of things. But what a story of overcoming adversity and challenge in his life. I love that story. Loved it. But let me say to you this morning, as we think of all the different types of stories, as we think about even inspiring, challenging stories like that of, of Mr. Jake Olson... Let me tell you that we have the greatest story that could ever be told. It is a true story. It is a life-giving story. It is a story about an individual that can make a difference in people's lives. It is a story about Jesus Christ. And all how we should enjoy that story and how we should enjoy telling that story. You know, years ago, we had a hymn that we would sing a lot that talked about the old, old story. That talked about how we love to tell the story. And we would sing that. And you know, I think for us as believers, we love that hymn, but sometimes we forgot that we're supposed to love the story behind that hymn. 
that the story is what we are to present to individuals. And that is the reason as we move through these next few weeks, we can encourage one another to tell the story, to share the story. And specifically, as we tell people about Christ and his story, we tell them that he wants them to follow. He wants them to come and to follow him. I want to dig into this passage this morning, beginning in the Gospel of Mark here in in chapter 1, in verse 14. We see it fleshed out, the story continue, as the central character to our story. The central primary character, Jesus himself, launches out into his public ministry. Look in verse 14, it says, Now after John was put in prison, so John the Baptist was in prison. After that, Jesus came to Galilee. After his Judean ministry, after he'd been working and and preaching, he moved back into the area of Galilee, North Palestine. And it says that he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he echoes the message of John the Baptist. He calls people to repentance. He calls people to recognize that the kingdom of God is at hand, that God's doing something new. God's doing something fresh. And obviously, as Jesus comes, he comes with a different type of authority because he himself embodies the gospel. He is the good news. And he is presenting the good news to those that would hear, that those that would listen. They'd been waiting for something fresh. They'd been waiting for something new in the nation of Israel. They'd been longing for God to do something and move. Remember last week I said that they had gone through like 400 years where they had really not heard a prophetic word from God. It had been a silent time as God speaking to them. And they were longing. And Jesus comes and he says, hey, something is happening. Something is stirring. God is bringing forth his kingdom. You need to hear that. You need to respond accordingly. And then in verse 16, it tells us about how he goes and he calls those first disciples. Beginning in verse 16 again, he says, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So as Jesus is... In Galilee, and he is preaching, he walks by the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's more like a lake, 13 by 8 miles. It, it's really more like a lake. He's walking by, and he sees these two guys. Now, we're told from John chapter 1, he had already met these guys. They had already heard him speak. They already knew his identity. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about how Andrew in particular had recognized the Messiahship of Jesus. And he had run back to find his brother, Simon, to tell Simon the good news, that the Christ had come. And he brought Simon to Jesus. So they had already heard Jesus teach. They had already recognized who he was. But now, Jesus issues a call to them. As he walks by, he sees them. They are casting their nets. You can imagine as they're on the shore, they're casting out their Uh, These nets that are about 10 to 15 feet in diameter, they have weights on the end so it'll sink and somehow catch the fish and they can bring it in. They're casting those things. Jesus says, hey, 
I want you to come after me. I want you to follow me. It was an invitation to discipleship. It was an invitation for these to come along. Now, Dr. Luke gives us a little more detail about it. I'm not going to go into the detail, but if you look in Luke chapter 5, you'll see where he has a little more interaction, especially with Peter. The physician gives you more details. I was thinking about that earlier. Doctors talk a lot more than preachers anyway, right? I saw you, Bobby, and I know Dan. You can send word back to him and Dr. Mack and all these different ones. But Luke gives you more detail. You're not surprised. Mark is one of these just-the-facts kind of guy. He just kind of gives it to you just in bare-fact form as you're reading through his gospel. But you can go and you can look about how Jesus actually encountered Peter and how Of course, they had not caught anything until Jesus got there and all that kind of stuff. But I want you to see here, again, just the basic intent that Jesus invited them to discipleship. This would have been a call that rabbis would have used in the New Testament age. They would have recognized this. They would have known that this was an invitation for them to come and to sit at Jesus' feet and to learn from this rabbi, this teacher, this master... They were to commit themselves to him. So I want you to hear this this morning. Jesus still issues the same call to us. Just as he did those early fishermen, so he issues the call to us to follow, to come after, to accept the invitation to discipleship. Now let me give you this. As I have studied, as I've looked at discipleship, even over the last many years of my life of ministry or so, looking at how God would call us and how he'd work within us, I have determined that discipleship is a daily commitment that comes as a consequence of a decisive choice we've made in life. In other words, it's a daily commitment that somehow issues forth from this decisive choice we make and who we are. So let me try to flesh that out for you this morning just a bit. Think about this idea of discipleship being a daily commitment. Jesus says, follow me. Now, what Jesus means is you're going to come with me and you're going to stay with me. Obviously, they are going to leave their business. They're going to leave their families. They're going to leave everything that they've really known, the comfort zone of their lives, And now they are going to follow this rabbi, this master, this teacher, the one that they will recognize as the true Christ. They will follow him daily. Discipleship is a daily commitment. You know, in years past, um, in our Southern Baptist churches, we had certain times set aside for like, discipleship and discipleship studies. Some of you remember that. Some of you shake your head, reveal your age. Man, we'll, we'll really get back into it. When I was younger, it was called training union. And before then, it was called BYB. See, you've really revealed your age now. It was a certain time set aside on a Sunday afternoon that you would come together and that was the time for you to go deeper in your faith and deeper in your doctrine as you grew in Christ. Sunday school was supposed to be open. It was supposed to be a little... 
People say, oh, it's not deep enough. Well, it was never supposed to be just real deep because you were supposed to be inviting friends to that Sunday school class so they could hear the gospel and they could be saved. That was the primary intent. Evangelistic and, yes, teaching in Sunday school in such a way. That was what it was supposed to be. And then you were to come back and you were to really dig into it in the discipleship hour. Now, while I, I think it's great to have discipleship moments, and we have discipleship moments all over this campus of where we come and we study a little deeper. Um, whether it's a Beth Moore study, a ladies' study, whether it's men gathering at an office during the week, I think those are wonderful things. I love what we're going to do next Sunday night of being able to come and draw together in, a, in an intimate setting and studying a little deeper about things. Those are wonderful opportunities. Our college students, in just about two weeks or so, they'll start what's called challenge groups where they'll meet during the week and they'll try to go deeper. Again, wonderful opportunities to grow in your discipleship. But let me say this. Hear me say this. Discipleship is not, it is not obtained through one class, through one program. That is not just discipleship. Discipleship is a daily commitment we make to Christ. It is a daily commitment of following. You don't just say, I'm going to give the Lord one hour this week or three hours this week. God requires us to give Him a daily commitment. These disciples were to follow the Master. And they were to follow Him daily. How were they getting to know Him? It wasn't sitting through a seminar. Nothing against seminars. See, I'm going to walk out of here. And some of you really are going to just get me in a few moments about talking about these classes. I, I, I'm not against I'm just saying to you, you can't just get Jesus through a seminar. These disciples, they weren't going to sit down for this professional seminar and hear about Jesus. That was not the way they were going to become disciples. The way they were going to conform in their discipleship was by following him daily. It was so important for them to be with him each day, to hear him each day. At night, to lay down in close proximity to their Savior, to their Master. I mean, literally. They would daily listen. They would daily learn. They would daily look. They would daily listen to what he said. You know... Verse 14, verse 15, I read a moment ago where it said he came preaching, declaring the, the kingdom or the work of God, the gospel of God when he's teaching that. Can you imagine being able to hear from Jesus daily the gospel? Now, I love to hear good preachers. And there are a lot of good preachers that the Lord has given us over the many, many years. But there is no preacher like Jesus. Can you imagine just sitting and hearing him teach with unparalleled authority? To hear him reveal the heart of the Father. To hear him declare the amazing, sweet news of salvation. They listened to him daily. That's the way they really grew in their discipleship. They hear, heard from him. And they learned, if you look on like in verse 21 through like 22, 
It says that he goes to Capernaum, and that's where he sets up his headquarters for so much of his ministry. And he goes in the synagogue, and he teaches. And again, he teaches with authority. The folks look around, they're like, who is this? This boy from Nazareth, how could he teach with such authority? He's amazing, the scribes, the Pharisees, all the religious leadership. But he's teaching them the depths of kingdom life. They're learning. So here are the disciples. They're listening to him in the synagogue. And they're learning from what he has to say. So not only to listen and appreciate the way he says it, but then to be able to focus on the substance of what he said and learn from him. How incredible that is. Must have been. And then not only that, if you continue on, like in this chapter, like if you look in verse 23 on down, even to 28 where it talks about his fame spreading, you will see his wondrous works, his miracles. You see where he cast out the unclean spirit specifically. So again, here you are a disciple. You're not mentioned explicitly in this passage, but you're there. And you've heard him. You've been able to take in that word, and now you've seen his power. You don't think that would affect your discipleship? You don't think that would grow you into his image? Now listen, these are ordinary people. Don't forget that. Don't miss that these two, and even the two that are mentioned later on in verse 19, they are fishermen. They're ordinary guys. They had not been to the seminaries. They had not been to the greatest places of study. And yet, Jesus chose those individuals so that he could work in their life and he could grow them daily. Oh, they failed. Some would even say that Mark's emphasis in his gospel is upon the failure of discipleship. How so many of his simply failed. I think it is to remind us that they were human beings just like us. They struggled in their discipleship. But God, through Jesus Christ, loved them so much just as he loved us that he continued on pouring into them and blessing them with his word and his work. May I say this? We can still listen. We can still learn. And we can still look to the glory of God. Now, I know Jesus is not incarnate here with us now. I know that. But don't miss the presence, the real powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And don't miss the dynamic, powerful word that he has given us each and every day. If you want to hear from him, you can hear from him. If you want to listen to him, listen to him. Don't just give the word your attention during a one-hour Bible study on Sunday morning. You daily commit to hear from him. Because you will still see the majesty and the power of Christ Jesus. You, you, You want to learn? Listen. Open up the scripture. You know, when I'm reading through the gospels, I see this red lettering and what does that mean it means it was literally the 
words of Jesus in that time. But I'll just tell you, I think from cover to cover it could be read. All of it. All of it is God's inspired word for us, profitable for us. So if I need a word, all I've got to do is go and just read. And it's as though Jesus himself spoke it. It's as though Jesus is speaking now. And you want to talk about miracles? Miracles were not just consigned to the New Testament age. That was a miracle. (laughs) Two of you said amen. (laughs) Miracles were not just consigned to the New Testament age. If you don't believe that God still does miracles, all you've got to do is open your eyes. God is still in the miracle working business. God is still delivering people from oppression. God is still bringing healing to people's lives. God is still bringing comfort to those who are bereaved. Our God is still doing these powerful, wonderful things. And what is the greatest? He is still saving people. He is still bringing people from death unto life. And there is no other story. There is no other God. There is no other like Him. I say to you, We've got to daily listen, daily learn, and daily look if we're to follow the Master. It's a daily commitment that has resulted from a decisive choice. A daily commitment that has resulted from a decisive choice. Verse 18, they immediately left their nets and followed Him. Do you see that decisive act That decisive choice that they made, they said, we will follow you. They didn't say, hey, we got to go get all our stuff together and we've got to make sure that we're ready. According to the way Mark presents it to us, okay? And I know, again, Mark is just a man of the facts. But Mark says immediately, he loves that word. He says immediately, they left their nets. So they've left everything that they've known... Their business, their vocation, perhaps a very profitable business. They leave their families and they follow Jesus. God still calls us to make those decisive choices. Now, I'm not saying you've got to sell your business. I'm not saying you've got to necessarily leave your physical family. But I'm going to say to you, when you give your heart and your life to Christ, you give all of yourself to Him. You follow Him. And whatever else tries to interfere, you remove those things. You follow Him fully with everything that you have. And you make a decisive choice. See, that's the reason I still think it's okay to give a public invitation. I know there's some people that don't, and I don't necessarily fault them for that. I'm just saying to you, we still give a public invitation because I believe when God's message is spoken at that moment, there are those of us who need to make decisive choices. Not to wait, but immediately leave our nets and immediately follow Him. I think that's what we see here. They just say, we're we're coming. And again, these are folks that knew about Him. 
They even recognized his Messiahship beforehand. But now, oh now, they are making a commitment for themselves to follow him. See, there are too many of our folks who sit on our pews every Sunday and they know about Jesus. They even say, yes, we know he's the Christ, but they have never made a decisive choice to follow him. I say to you, today is the day of salvation. Today. And get this. When our God comes and he does such a work and he calls you to follow, he'll give you a new task. A new purpose. And that task and that purpose will be to fish for men. I love the way God uses this task that they already knew. And he reframes it to give it new meaning. To say, hey, now I've got something new and fresh. I want you to fish for men. He goes on in verse 19. He even, in, he even brings along a couple other brothers. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee. John, his brother, who also in the boat, mending their nets. In other words, they were getting them ready, getting them prepped for the next day. They were cleaning them up. They were making sure that they were, that they were mended if they had been broken or it, something had happened to them during the night. They were working on those kinds of things. And, and again, immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. They went too. Again, four fishermen. So that word before about how he would make them fishers of men, this resonated with them. They knew what a fisherman was. And now he says, I'm going to take your understanding of what fishing is and I'm going to transform it into this task of fishing for men. Because when you follow and you daily come before him, you grow in your discipleship, you'll have the task of being able to fish for something greater. The soul's of men and women and boys and girls. Those that the Holy Spirit convicts and works, you'll be able to help draw them in to true salvation. Now let me just give you this as we prepare to close, okay? This idea of fishing required focus and they knew that. These guys were fishermen. They fished as a vocation, not a recreation. Right? Some of you, um, some of you fish recreationally. A few of you. Nobody admit it. <laughs> I wouldn't either if I were some of y'all. Um, some of you may go to Darbone or Claiborne or Caney Lake and all that. Hey, it's. Coming back up in this direction in North Louisiana, I've been so blessed to know that there are other places to fish and do those kinds of things now. It, it, it's kind of like home where I was raised. It's great. So some of you do it, you know, some of you do it recreationally. And you enjoy it. You go out, or at least you begin to enjoy it, and then you don't catch anything. And you kind of, you, But anyway, you try to enjoy it. Fishing. These guys were not fishing just for the enjoyment. They were not fishing... For pleasure. They were fishing for their livelihood. It was their career. It was their vocation. So when Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to make you, you, you follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. He's not saying, hey, 
you, you're going to get to do this recreationally. Like when you just have time on the side, you're going to get to do this. That's not what he's saying. Now, I think there's some enjoyment in it, but what he's saying is, this is your job now. This is your task. You are fishers of men. You are to be fishing for men and women and boys and girls. You are to fish for them. Literally, it means like to capture their minds, to arrest them for the glory of God. You fish. It's going to take fortitude. It took fortitude to follow because they had to leave their folks, just as we said. I mean, it's going to take fortitude. It's going to take faith to follow and to fish. Think about it. When you go to fish, yes, you do all that you can to, to, to try to lure those fish. You've got certain attractants. I don't know if you still spray stuff. I remember my dad used to like take lures and he would spray these things down. And when they put it in the water, I mean, it was just like an oil slick all of a sudden. I was like, I don't think this is healthy. I mean, I, why would you want to eat these fish that have been in this water? But you do all kinds of things. But you and I know that even when you fish today, it's not about all the attracting. It's not about, it's, sometimes it's just you throw and you just hope that there's a fish there. Over in Luke, they had not called anything without Jesus. Jesus said, hey, launch the boats back out. Let's go fishing. And they were like, Jesus, we already been out there. It's kind of like you've been at work all day and somebody comes back and says, hey, could you come on and let's work a little more? <laughs> I've been to work. I'm resting. Jesus, we, we've been out there. But when they go out with Jesus by faith and by trust, when they see his power, and certainly he enables them to have that faith by showing them that he can deliver the catch. I say to you that following and fishing requires faith and focus. It's a daily commitment because of a decisive choice you made, but it requires focus and fortitude and faith each and every moment of your life. But again, this is the call God still brings to us. It wasn't just for a bunch of Galilean fishermen. It was for business people here in Ruston. It was for students here in Ruston. It was for any type of industry worker here in Ruston. It's for a stay-at-home mom. It's for a grandmama. It's for a teacher. The call is for each and every person to hear once again, follow me. Follow. Give it up. Make it a daily practice. Commit to me. Follow. And then I will make you fishers of men. We are encouraging our congregation. You've heard us, if you've been here the last few weeks, and some of you who are visiting, maybe you know this. We have encouraged our folks to be more about fishing and more about evangelism. I believe we've got to be. But don't miss the point that you have to follow before you can truly be effective in fishing. 
And today, before we commit ourselves to fish, maybe it's just a moment to commit ourselves to follow again. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, make a decisive choice today. Come to Him. Say, I want to follow Him. I want to be saved. If you are saved, recommit yourself. That wasn't a one-time deal. Oh, it was a decisive choice. But hey, come back and say, I know this is an ongoing process of discipleship. I want to be more like Him. I want to follow Him. I want to hear. I want to learn. I want to see what He is doing. Recommit yourself to the living Lord. Follow the Master. And then you can fish for men. Let's pray together. Father, how we bless your name this morning. How we are grateful that we can follow you. And God, that this is not just, Lord, a seminar-centered type of effort. Lord, this is a personal, relational, daily commitment that we have to follow you. God, thank you for still speaking to us through your word. Thank you for still performing works and miracles so that we can see your activity in our midst. God, I pray that this day that those who have not truly followed you, they've never made a decisive choice. Lord, in many ways, you're just more of a hobby to them than you are a king. God, I pray that today you would speak and they would submit their all in all to you. They'd follow. And God, then, as we get the following right, would you help us with the fishing? You promised us that you, you, through your power, would make us fishers of men. And God, we pray for that. Lord, help us capture men's minds for your glory. And point them to the good news that's been embodied in your son, the Lord Jesus. Father, we submit ourselves to you. We give you this invitation for you to work even now. In Jesus' name.